The loss of 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 podcast. The loss of podcast. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Maybe you want to get a piece of that. Pretty good. I want to talk about sexy teens. I was getting erections. It's a very creepy feeling. I can guarantee that underwear theft will come up again. None of this is relevant. Pokemon, Pokeballs. 750 milliliter bottle of rum. Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. So there are a couple of issues. One, you may notice that my voice is particularly appealing in your ears at the moment. And that's because I've had a sore throat for a couple of days. Um, I'm basically speaking more quietly and sitting closer to the microphone than usual. So you might actually hear some more plosives, like the p sound. Um, or I might sound like I'm going through puberty every now and then, like really rapidly. Basically, my goal today is to try to record as much as I can before my voice gives out. A secondary problem is that I actually wasn't very happy with the end of last week's podcast. And the reason is I talked about a bunch of cartoon teams that solve mysteries. And while I kind of touched on a whole bunch, I actually realized what I really would satisfy me personally is to go deeper into one. So I'm going to look more at the last one, like the kid who turns into a car, just because I find that really impractical and try to do a little deeper dive into that. And I realized one of the problems is I don't really have the ability to go back and re-record very often because I kind of make notes and have ideas over the week and I write those down. And then in the morning, this morning, I basically turn some of those notes into longer notes or points that I'll use in today's podcast. Uh, I might have to do some research, like I had to look up the cartoons and, and make sure I got all the names right and stuff. And then I record. In the afternoon, I start to edit. So once I realize I've listened to something and I'm not happy with it, I can't really go back and record again. I don't have time in my day off to actually go back and do something twice. So the choice then becomes use what I have or not post that episode or at least cut that section so the episode will be significantly shorter. I'm trying not to worry about time, but I did have a lot of ideas in there. And so now I'm thinking of revisiting a lot of the ideas in the past. So you might get weirdly linked episodes where I talk about different things sort of week to week. Just because as I look at my own podcast when I put it up, that's the only way I can actually figure uh, what kind of elements I missed or what I would like to talk about more or what I would like to look at more. So hopefully my voice keeps going for about half an hour because right after this, I actually want to record the Ninja News Japan episode for this week, which I don't know if I'll actually have the voice to be able to do. So this is basically just a race against time to see if I can record enough before my voice gives out. So I got a message about last week's episode where I was talking about kids watching other people play video games on the internet, like streaming and stuff. And then, you know, the outcry that parents had over things like rock and roll and stuff and any kind of new thing that comes along becomes a panic for parents. Now, my man Austin wrote in, I have a tweet at my grumpy Uncle Peter about Twitch. This is not a new phenomenon. As a child, I always enjoyed watching just as much, if not more, than playing video games. I am 31. Thank you for the message. It is very difficult to challenge 
someone's memories. Certainly a person I've actually never met in real life. So it's hard for me to challenge their point of saying what they enjoyed. I do agree that it is possible that you enjoyed it, but I also watched other people play video games, and I suspect you may fall in the same category as me, where you watched it, you enjoyed it, but really you wanted to play it, and the person playing wouldn't let you play. Because this is what happened to me. I had a friend, and, and he had on one of those CRT screens that was only green and black, so it only had two colors, and it was Conan the Barbarian. But the Conan the Barbarian in the game had no relationship to Conan the Barbarian from the movies. He actually had a whip and I think a boomerang or a knife that would he could throw in and it would come back. And it was just a little platformer. This was the first video game I ever really saw. So it was at my friend's house on his parents' computer and I watched him play it and I really loved watching him play it. But deep down inside, I really wanted to play it. But basically, never having played a video game, I wasn't as capable. So I would try and then my friend would get frustrated and say, no, no, let me do it. I'll show you how to do it. And then I basically watched him. And it's not because I enjoyed watching it that I was in that position. It's because I sucked and he didn't. So I kind of was forced into the position of watching. And my personal acceptance of that came about because I had no choice because it was either watch it or don't watch it, which would be less fun. So I think my friend Austin needs to revisit this memory. Did he enjoy it, which he probably did, but did he enjoy it more than playing? I would question that. There may be a false memory or an adjustment of your memory and pleasure so that you accept your position in the world. This also brought up a memory I have of my first video game system. And this, to me, I believe sparked off my obsession with video games. I play almost every single day. Uh, almost every night before I go to bed, I get on at least for an hour or two with my friends. And it's actually, for me now at this point, more a social thing than actually playing games. I love the games, but what I want to do more than anything else is actually play with my friends. So my first system was called the Gemini. And the proposal of the Gemini was that it could take Atari cartridges and something else. I forget, maybe Sega? I don't... Uh, some other system that had cartridges. And you could put both types of cartridges into this one machine and play them. And I, even as a young man, I think I was nine or 10, realized that this was better. A system that could accept games from two different systems meant you actually doubled your pool of games you could draw from. So I delivered newspapers at that time and I got like, well, I forget, it was like a penny per paper or something. So you had to deliver thousands of papers before you even got a couple of dollars. It was a terrible, terrible thing. But I saved up enough money to buy the Gemini. And when I bought the Gemini, this was clearly, if you know electronics now, you know it was a really bad idea because it was some kind of weird Chinese knockoff that, you know, fiddled with the cartridges to get them to work. And the big problem was, of course, these things don't tend to have longevity. So within a few weeks, the actual system broke and the games wouldn't work. Now, my father thought this would be a good opportunity to teach me a lesson because he thought that video games were bad and that you shouldn't play video games. They were garbage. So basically, he was on the old-timey rock and roll, uh, the parents from the Footloose Town side of the argument. He thought what I enjoyed was bad. So it would be a good thing if I had a negative experience, and thus I would then start to hate video games just as much as he did, because I would learn it, how much they ripped me off. The problem, I think, 
was what I now had was a thing that I had worked towards and paid for and bought. I didn't understand how warranties worked. So if I had understood that, I could have taken it back to the store and probably just got a replacement that would have maybe even just lasted another two weeks. But I could have kept doing that until I actually got, you know, my money's worth out of the system. But my dad said, ah, that's what you get for buying video games. It's broken. It's kind of what you deserve. So you can just live with that for the rest of your life. But what it really was, was now a thing that I couldn't have that I wanted. And it was like one of those things that's just out of reach. So it became more appealing to me because it was something that I wanted more than before. So I actually think my father's intent set off the opposite result. He wanted me to hate video games because I had a negative experience, but basically it became something that was out of touch or out of reach for me. And so I wanted them all the more. I remember when I came to Japan and I had my first job that was fairly stable and I was getting paid fairly regularly. The first thing I bought was a really large TV and I hooked my computer up to it so I could watch movies. But then by hooking my computer up to it, I could also play video games on the big TV. But that wasn't satisfying enough. My next purchase was a PlayStation. This was the PS2 and I got that and I got Grand Theft Auto. And as far as I'm concerned, that was one of the highlights of my life. I've had children and stuff, but you know, really, Grand Theft Auto on the PlayStation 2 was a mind-expanding experience. Because if I was ever going to design a game at that time, this is the game I wanted. It was a big open world. You could run around and do what you want. You could do the mission, or you could just forget the mission and go off and do anything. While I agree that my man Austin probably did enjoy watching video games, I bet he suppressed the part of his mind that actually wanted to play. Now how this relates to the modern version where kids are doing it regularly by choice is that now they have like cell phones and pads and stuff where it's accessible and I think they find watching the video game plus the personality because I don't know if Austin's friends were as appealing as mine but my friends were all losers and idiots. So when they were playing video games there was no patter. It was like dead silence as he played and I watched. Whereas now we have personalities playing the games. And I think it's the personalities that are making the difference between what happened then and what happens now. Because now you're watching an appealing person play a video game. Whereas I was watching Chris Sinden play a video game. And that guy had no pattern. He had no charm. He just played. And then if I wanted to play, he actually basically told me no. I can't say that Austin's wrong. Because of course I have no idea. But I can say Austin have a couple cocktails, maybe do some hypnosis, go back to that time and see, was the desire to play really less than to watch? Or was that desire suppressed? And as I'm getting more people sending stuff in, I really appreciate it. If you have any comments on anything I say, it actually helps me spring off new ideas. I really appreciate it. You can tweet at Velocipeter. You can send emails to velocipodcast.gmail.com. All that information comes at the end, but I want to stick it out there as many times as I can because these interactions are making the podcast just honestly a hundred times more fun to record. So core question, Trump probably won't step down if he loses the next election. Is there a title better than president or dictator in this scenario? Um, I think the question asker doesn't really understand how American politics works because I don't think anyone asks if you want to hang around or if you're cool with the election results once the election's finished. I think once you lose an election, what actually happens is you are just expected to move out. There's no one who's going to stand up and defend you if you say, I don't want to go. Because if you lose the election, you don't actually step down. 
you are just no longer in the position that you were in before. So if Trump loses the election and he's, let's say, in the White House and he's in his office and he and the new president comes to move in, it's not like anyone's going to help him hold the position. They're going to be like, no, dude, you got to go now. You don't live here anymore. There's also a secondary issue, and it's one that I think is kind of interesting because I don't think he actually wants a second term. I don't think he actually likes being president. Because if you compare his life before to the life now, certainly the scrutiny and the criticism he receives now is not something he was prepared for. When you see the man react to any sort of criticism, any sort of actual complaint, any sort of statement or contrary statement he's made, he reacts incredibly negatively. And he's obviously not used to this idea that he actually has to be culpable or responsible for the things he says. Whereas before, in private life, he could probably just lie constantly and people would notice, but they would just take advantage of it or they would just let it go because it just didn't do them any good to make a big deal of it. Whereas now everything he said is in the media, everything he said is being recorded and everything he said is being analyzed and compared to things he said before. That's got to be a tough way to live because he's not used to it. I know early in the first year, he actually talked about how his life before being president was easier and it's almost like he didn't realize how tough being president was going to be. I think he actually believed that he was just going to go around and tell people what to do and everyone was going to do it exactly the way he wanted it done because he was president and that's all that matters. So yeah, point number one, I don't think anyone gives a shit whether he steps down or not because that's not how that works. He just stops being president. And number two, I don't really believe he wants a second term. So despite all this impeachment stuff, all the talk about getting him out of the position... I think he actually would like to lose. He, of course, for the show, he's going to make it seem like it's unfair and he didn't lose and he never loses. But I think a big part of him actually just doesn't want to be president at all anyways. So here's a, another weird Quora question. It's what are some signs I am not intelligent even though I think I am? Now, the Dunning-Kruger effect, I said it that way just from a man Austin out there. Uh, the... <laughs> The Dunning-Kruger effect actually says that what you think of your own abilities is really the first step or the first problem or the first thing blocking you and actually actualizing your real abilities. So when people think they are good at things, they are not as good as they think they are. So what you need is outside confirmation that something is true. So something that I think I'm good at is judo because I've done it my whole life. But what I have is a lot of outside confirmation that I am good because I have awards and trophies and stuff from competitions. Now, competitions, they're not giving those to me. I actually have to beat other people. I have to be better than other people at those things to be able to attain them. So that is a form of outside confirmation. Now, I stopped competing about six years ago. So am I still good at judo? Now, I know that my abilities because of my age, have decreased. And also, I don't train as hard as I used to. So I can't be as good as I used to be. But I also know there's a mental dichotomy there because in my brain, I am as good as I was at my peak. One of the interesting things that's happened recently is I was fighting a guy who was bigger and stronger and honestly, probably just better than me at judo. In my head, I knew what to do to beat him. I wasn't as physically capable as my mind wanted me to be. So I knew what to do. I just couldn't do it either fast enough or strong enough to be able to do it. So that is also confirmation that I'm not as good as I used to be. I know what to do. I just am not capable of doing it. Now, there's another way of looking at it. 
I have a lot of friends who know I do judo. And if you ask them, is Peter good at judo? They would probably say yes, even though they've never actually seen me do judo. They have no idea. But they've heard the way I talk about it. And I think the reason that they would think I'm good is because I always talk about it in a very practical way. I'm not bragging. I'm talking about what could and couldn't happen. I talked about what did happen. I can be very factual and very detailed. That shows I have a deep understanding of what's going on. Now, I don't claim to be particularly smart. I have enough understanding of intelligence to know that I think there's a different, a bunch of different kinds of intelligence. So I wouldn't actually say I was smart. If someone said, do you think you're smart? I would be like, ah, you know, I think I can be smart sometimes. I think I can be pretty dumb sometimes. Uh, certainly I have sort of an emotional ignorance that gets in the way when I'm trying to think things through. So in that case, it would be actually better to go and get outside confirmation as to whether I'm a, a smart person or not. The second thing... I have noticed between people who think they are smart, but who actually aren't as smart as they think they are, is they tend to blame other people for when things go wrong. So they think they're smart, they've made a bad decision, something goes wrong, and they blame everyone else around them. They also are not particularly critical of their own actions because they think they're smart, so they think they make right decisions. So when they make a decision, everyone should agree with it, and they don't understand when people don't. And the final element of the second point is they don't tend to be particularly analytical about their ideas or thoughts because, again, they make assumptions that they're smart. They don't know or have confirmation that they're actually smart, so they don't second-guess themselves. So because they don't second-guess themselves, they don't analyze their ideas, so they don't look for the faults in their own ideas, so they don't see them, and then when it comes blaring in their face, they hit that circle again where they blame someone else for it going wrong. So I actually think one of the most dangerous things you can think about yourself is that you are smart. So I think if you are really smart, you're probably not thinking you're smart at all because you're too busy thinking about other stuff. Because that's what smart people do. They think about other things. They aren't particularly concerned about whether or not they're smart. They're concerned about other ideas and thoughts that they're having at that time. So I have fairly bad allergies. I get allergies all year round. And I've mentioned before, it's because I'm allergic to dust and I'm allergic to grass, which is dust is basically everywhere I go inside and grass is everywhere I go outside. Sometimes in the winter when I go outside, I feel pretty good. But basically, I'm always looking for ways to alleviate the symptoms of allergies. And one of the things I came across was the neti pot. And that's where you pour stuff up your nose. You have to boil the water to make sure there's no bacteria in it. You put a baking soda and salt solution in there to get the pH right. And then you run that through your nose and it gets all the crap out of your nose. I think I've actually told that story before. I have a particularly negative view of holistic medicines. And it is not because I think holistic medicines are bad. I think it's because they make claims that are untrue. So if holistic medicine could go farther into making more accurate claims, I think they would actually be more accepted in large. So the neti pot, when you look up what the holistic people claim that washing stuff out of your nose does, the claims get pretty exuberant pretty quickly. One of the things they always claim, pretty much every holistic medicine claims it somehow cures cancer, which is just not how things work. Washing stuff out of your nose doesn't cure cancer. Uh, all these other therapies they talk about with like crystals and stuff, they cannot cure cancer. 
when I was researching the neti pot, it was claiming that it could increase my circulation and increase all these other things, and I would be getting, I would be breathing better, so it would have all these benefits. Breathing better than struggling with your breath certainly would have benefits. Getting more oxygen more easily into your body is going to be a good thing, but if I am cancer prone, it isn't going to stop that from happening. It is not going to cure my cancer. What does the neti pot actually do? Well, if you have gunk up your nose, it'll wash the gunk out of your nose. So if it's like some sort of allergen, it'll help wash the allergens out. So less allergens up your nose means less allergens get into your bloodstream, which means less histamines, which means less allergies, less reaction to those histamines. If you have very mild symptoms, maybe that would actually be enough for you to to deal with all the problems that, of allergies. But mine can be quite severe, and I have to do it all year long, so it's clearly not enough by itself. But I find take, using the neti pot in concert with appropriate medication actually makes the medication more effective. I don't think the neti pot cures anything, but I think it, takes, it helps the medicine that I take work better. Now, if you look at other kinds of holistic medicines, they have essential oils. Now, what do essential oils do? Well, usually you massage them into your muscles and they smell good. So basically, essential oils make you feel good. They don't really do anything other than smell nice and help you relax. The thing is, relaxing is really beneficial to your body. So if you do have to take medicine and you feel bad or you feel tight or you feel upset, having yourself calm down is beneficial. But I don't think they can, should make any claims other than that they make you feel good. Aromatherapy hits the exact same thing. What does aromas do for you? Well, if you're stressed out and you feel bad, maybe a nice smell will make you feel better. It's not going to cure anything. It's not going to actually do anything beyond that. But it has been medically proven that a positive state of mind will actually be beneficial overall. But no doctor is going to say feeling good for an hour actually will cure a disease. And if you're in poor shape, feeling good certainly will help improve your overall state, which will probably help boost your immune system, which actually help you fight off or stop whatever it is you're trying to use the essential oils or essential oils or aromatherapy to, oh, I've just fucking lost complete train of thought because of my voice feeling good doesn't cure cancer but it is important to feel good so I think actually I'm kind of pro a lot of the things that these holistic medicines do which hopefully is making you feel slightly better but I'm very anti all the claims all the false claims they make about the benefits of what they do. And again, primarily cure cancer because none of these things are gonna help you cure cancer. Uh, when I was in Canada last, I took my son to a rock show because he was interested in rocks. Now, there were a lot of hippie types at this rock show and that's fine, but these are the kind of people who go in for a lot of holistic medicines, a lot of things that I do not believe in and I actually will not accept because not, again, that they're bad things. It's the way they sort of put them at a tier above what they're actually capable of doing is the problem. So I saw a pyramid, and it was this sort of shiny silver rock, and I thought, oh, that's actually pretty good. It was cool. Maybe it would make a nice paperweight at my desk or something. So I was interested in it. She goes, do you know about this rock? And she knew the name. I didn't know the name. And I forget because I didn't buy it. That's going to be the end of the story. I said, no, I don't. And I was quite happy to hear about it. And she goes, oh, well, it sort of affects magnetism around you. And I was like, oh, that's neat. And she goes, they took it, uh, the Russians took it with them into space. And I was like, oh, so maybe they did some magnetic experiments in space. That's also pretty cool. That's kind of, I'm on board with everything you're saying. And literally as she was talking, I was kind of reaching into my pocket to get my wallet out. And she said, it purifies water. 
And then I pulled my hand out of my wallet because there's no way that was true. The Russians were not purifying the water they took with them into space with a rock because that's not how water purification works. And then she saw that I, she was losing me, so she decided to double down. And she said, it's really good if you put it next to your computer because it cleans the Wi-Fi. And at that point, I said, thank you, and I walked away. Because there's no point in being rude to these people. I don't want to have an argument, and I don't want to be rude, but I am certainly not buying the bullshit she was selling, where you can clean Wi-Fi, because that's not how Wi-Fi works, and that's not how a magnet works, and it's not how this rock works. So while she was saying things that were factual, I was really interested. Yeah, I bet the Russians did take this kind of rock into space, and they probably did do some experiments with it, but they didn't put it in their water to purify their water, because if they did then I can tell you that right now this rock would be worth a lot more than the 20, 30 bucks and you're trying to sell it to me too because then you could just purify all the water in the world with the big chunk of this rock and countries would be clamoring for this thing all over the place. And the fact that this is the first time I've heard of putting a rock in water will purify it or that my Wi-Fi needs to be cleaned before it goes into my phone or through my head or whatever the hell you think you're talking about, that feels like a lot of garbage. Now I'm going to go put some crystals on my throat and hope I can make it feel better. The loss of the loss of podcast. The loss of podcast. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast. And here I am forcing through my desperate sickness, my desperate illness, the pain. I'm going to stop because that just sounds stupid.